Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Hi, welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. The 2021 NASCAR Cup Series season is over, so we've got the mayor joining us to talk about it. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Burton is here to discuss Kyle Larson's championship and a plethora of other things that happened. Jeff, thanks for being here. Good to be here. So we're going to get to Kyle Larson because his championship is clearly the storyline here. A season for the ages. First time a driver has won 10 times in a season since Jimmy Johnson 14 years ago. I want to get to all of that, but I want to start with the fact that as much as a world-class driver that Kyle Larson is, he doesn't win the championship necessarily because of that. He won the championship because of his team, because of his pit crew. He led the last 28 laps because he's a great driver, but he got the lead solely because of his pit crew. Cliff Daniels said he felt like Larson had the third fastest car of the championship contenders. Denny Hamlin said he thought Larson was fourth fastest. It was a track position race. Pit stops really determined the outcome for that final restart. It did. I, 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 the only thing I will say is that he did play a role in it because that first pit stall was, was yes. a major advantage. And he gained that first pit stall, not based off of the formula they used from the week before, but by qualifying... He got that first pit stall. That's an advantage. 
Uh, that listen, that pit crew has been the best all year long. I mean, they've if you think about it, when did they make mistakes? I mean, very few mistakes. Uh, that pit crew has been honored all all year long. The best team won, and it is a team effort. I mean, Kyle Larson said that it's a team effort, and it, and it is, and it showed. But you're right on a day where you don't have the fastest car. It's got to come from somewhere else. That's what great teams do. They find a way. The fastest car doesn't always win. Yeah. And in this case, they took it. They just went and took it. Now, listen, the 19 had a bad stop, that which helped them, but they just took it from them. That's great stuff in championship form. I mean, they won. Well, they went five, uh, five, five, of, the last, five of the last ten races. Tied Tony Stewart for winning half yeah. of the playoff races. So, yeah. you know... <laughs> Not bad. They're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was clearly earned and deserved, but I'm glad you brought up pit stall selection because it was an 11.8 second stop. It was their second best stop of the season. But Denny Hamlin had a stop that I think was 12 seconds. Yep. And and like you said, Truex and Chase Elliott, they pretty much lost the race because their stops were both like right around 13 second range. But to your point, Jeff, this race and this championship in a way was won on Saturday when Kyle Larson won the pole on Saturday. And was able to get that first pit stall selection. I, I really think that made the difference with him coming out first in front of Hamlin. And I was stunned when on media day on Thursday, Hamlin was asked about how much emphasis he's going to put on qualifying. And he said, virtually none. It's not really going to matter. All the crew chiefs came in the media center Friday. Gabehart, ton of respect for Chris Gabehart. This isn't meant as a slight at all. But he said, I don't even know like what our settings are or suspension settings or whatever are for qualifying right now you know Gustafson said the same thing no one was putting any emphasis on qualifying because the first four selections were going to go to the four championship teams but it did end up mattering (laughs) that whoever was first was going to have the advantage on that final stop does that surprise you and do you think next year do teams maybe put more emphasis I mean teams weren't even making mock runs in practice for qualifying it surprised me uh, because I heard the same thing and there seemed to be a downplay of qualifying and you think track position, right? Okay, if we qualify 15th, we can still win the championship. It's a long race. We're not counting points for stages, all those kind of things. That's real. I think that the format kind of sucked people into thinking, hey, qualifying doesn't matter. When I say the format, what we've been doing for two years, not practicing, not qualifying for the most part, I think that they just said, you know what? It doesn't really matter and kind of forgot, kind of took the ball eye off the ball. Now, I will say this. If you have to make a choice between I need, I'm going to make a car go fast for qualifying or make a car go fast for the race, you want, you want to go fast for the race. Steve and I talk about it all the time. We believe short run speed yields more results. You know, there's always a short run. You don't know you're going to a long run, but every run has a short run. You can save tire a little bit on a fast car that will take off. You don't have to take off that fast. On a slow car, you can't make it go faster taking off. You get the right race, Denny Hamlin almost got it. Martin Truex almost got it. They almost got those races they need, long runs, but they didn't. And in today's world, and I made a living off of long run cars. I mean, honestly, (laughs) I couldn't qualify worth a crap. And I was not good at short run speed. But in today's world, I just think you have to have short run speed. You're going to net out more more times than not, you're going to get beaten. You're going to get beaten times because you're not as good in the long run. But, but I think as important as track position is today, you're better off more times than not having a short run car speed. And the Hendrick cars were probably the faster yeah. uh, than the Gibbs cars in the short run. And, 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 hey, listen, and credit you know Martin Truex Jr. and their team because they recognize it. They got a short run. Martin actually was faster than a five car for a little bit, but they paid the price and tried to – pump up air, do whatever they did. He ultimately ran, you know, it wouldn't go long enough. 
Uh, but, you know, they took a shot at it, but but the Hendrick cars are just faster on short runs. Yeah, and Hamlin and Truex both said that. Truex, obviously, has always been a long-run team. That's how they won the championship yeah. in 2017. That's how they lost it in 2018 when Logano passed him late. Uh, and Hamlin, same thing. They're just not really short-run oriented, uh, and the race just didn't play out because of where the cautions fall the way they always do. So it ends up falling into Kyle Larson's hands, and you were there. In Hold the, on. Yes. It didn't fall fall into <laughs> Kyle Larson's hands. So Martin Truex Jr.'s team did not have the money stop. True. Denny Hamlin did not have the money restart. Truex goes from first to third during that final pit yeah. stop. Denny sequence. Hamlin lines yeah. up inside row, exits turn two, and third. So it was all there for them to go win the race. Bad pit stop. Not a horrible pit stop, but not good enough. And then Denny did not get yeah. a good launch. And to beat a, long, a short run car, you have to leave the restart zone at least with the guy. And Denny wasn't able to do that. It's really hard. Restarts are so hard. But Denny just didn't have that perfect restart that he needed to have. So I want to push back on you. Nothing fell yeah. into Kyle yeah, Larson's no, you're hands. Right. You're now, right. he did get the caution that he needed, but Martin Truex got the caution he needed earlier in the race. And they, and they got the mo- huge momentum shift. Huge momentum shift. Martin Truex Jr. is on pit road. Caution comes out. He's leading the race. Now you got the two Gibbs cars up front. You got two Penske cars in between them. And you got the two Hendrick cars behind the Penske cars. That was the switch. I mean, they got the break they needed. But they couldn't execute on it. Because the next caution, they didn't have the pit stop they needed. The, the 19. So... They caught a break and couldn't execute on it. And the five car had a bad break and found a way through it through a great pit stop and then a great restart. So it was all in Martin Truex Jr.'s hands. It really was. And Martin did his job. Martin had a championship drive. Brad Keselowski last year had a championship drive, but you got to do it on pit road. That's exactly it, though. That's what I, I keep getting hung up on. I mean, Brad Keselowski lost 13 spots in the pits last year yeah. in the championship race. For probably the fastest car. Yeah. Finished the second. So everybody knew coming into this race, pit stops are critical. And it's a track position race. And we always hear, you know, we're going to leave no stone unturned. This is the championship. You know, all guns blazing. But, you know, maybe qualifying doesn't really matter that much. I mean, th- that just, it stunned me because... I think you want to leave yourself as little margin as possible. I, and I know I asked Hamlin about this. The whole narrative all week was there no reason to f- focus too much on qualifying because the top four guys are going to get top four pit selections. But Kyle Larson gets that first pit stall because he qualifies first. It, mm-hmm. Is there any regret there that maybe we should have focused more on that? Not really, because I don't think we would have qualified as fast as he did anyway. You know, those those cars were just superior um, to, to ours for the second half of the year in every aspect on the short run. So I don't know whether we would qualify any different. But, I mean, how do you know if you don't try? <laughs> it's I mean, so hard. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't get to put a qualifying setup in the car, right? You yeah. just impound qualifying. So that, it makes it difficult. I understand why the crew chiefs, like, listen, the only one that made a mock Q run was the 19. That's, he's the only one. He's the only one right. that went out, found out where they were. Here's what we needed to know. He was the only one that did it. He didn't sit on the pole. Yeah. He put more effort into it and didn't sit on the pole. Larson threw a lap up. I mean, he's, I mean, the speed he had was ridiculous. But that's who they are. I mean, they, they, this was their year. They're going to be faster than you. They're going to outspeed you on pit road. They're, they just were the strongest in every category. What, what category can you look at? 
and say they're not the best going into this race and it played out like that if you look at the analytics uh, you can make a real argument that the five car was the worst on of those four that's exactly what denny said with this package yeah, Gen- this that's horsepower what denny right? said. yeah but yeah. they find a way yeah that and that's what champions do and and I mean, nothing against anybody else because what we're talking about here is we're comparing the best of the best, okay? If if you lined up and it was clear all year long, you take any other team and you line up against the other three guys that didn't win the championship and those other three guys beat everybody else. But they couldn't find a way to beat Larson and that team. And not just Larson and the five team, but Hendrick Motorsports because Cliff Daniels also said that they worked on their qualifying setup Monday through Wednesday. They didn't make a mock run Friday in practice, but... They did rely on, much to Denny Hamlin's chagrin, Alex Bowman, that hack in the number 48, <laughs> made a mock qualifying run for the number five that Daniels like took some data points from that, and that helped him set Larson's car up for I Saturday. Haven't heard, I haven't heard that. I didn't so, know that. So that that's like another layer to it. I, I don't know. Maybe that happened with the Gibbs cars. I mean, I don't know if Christopher Bell or Kyle Busch were helping out yeah. Truex and, and Hamlin in practice, and we didn't see it, but just... Another little nugget that shows like why Kyle Larson, that elite talent matched with a, a, a powerhouse team like Hendrick Motorsports, that the match really happened this year. And I want to go back to, to pre-race because you and Dale Jr. were there interviewing Kyle Larson on the grid and you played this Mario Andretti snippet. My interest peaks on Kyle mainly because of uh, the great season that he's had, establishing himself uh, as a new NASCAR superstar. What has always impressed me about Kyle Larson is uh, his versatility. You know, he's shown that in NASCAR, he'll win on a mile and a half, a short oval, he'll win on the road course. And then uh, on the way to the track on Saturday night, he'll win on some dirt track somewhere. You know? So uh, he's amazing. And let's see if he can uh, finish it off with a championship. That's really the guy. I know you probably don't want to, you know, you wouldn't compare yourself to Mario, but that's really the guy that you remind us of the most when we watch you race all these different cars. How does that make you feel to hear from him? That that makes me feel really, really, really good inside. And, um, you know, I never got the pleasure to watch him race, but before I ever probably even raced a sprint car, you know, I, that's kind of, he was who I wanted to be and wanted to be known, you know, like. And I think I've really tried to shape my schedule around what he might have done um, back in the day. So that was really cool to see. And, and I hope I can make him proud today with a NASCAR championship. Put that in perspective. Like, what was it like kind of watching Kyle react to that and, and, and then seeing him win the championship? Listen, I, I, I um, and I don't want to sound like too big of a fanboy because I, I <laughs> but I got chills. Yeah watching the video but then watching Kyle because he you could see he had genuine appreciation for oh my god like this is like I don't think he recognizes how good he is and you know I told him before the race what I thought how much respect I had for him and he genuinely like you could tell he appreciated it but that's nothing like Mario Andretti saying what he said mm-hmm. And it was one of those moments where here I am standing next to this motorsports superstar, and he is still humble enough where someone telling him how impressed they are of Mario's stature, it went, it mattered to him. It wasn't, well, that's cool. Yeah, that's neat. You know, it mattered to him. And, and I think that's pretty special. And and listen, I, I, 
I, I was not that big of a Kyle Larson fan. I'll be honest. Kyle pissed me off when he talked about, you know, this race being bigger than the Daytona 500. And I'm like, you know what? If you don't want to be here, there's the damn door. That's how I felt. Because this is the biggest form of motorsports in North America. There's no debate. You can say, I like this, I like that, fine. This is the pinnacle of motorsports in, in, in North America. There, there's, there's no debate about that. And for a while, I think Kyle didn't appreciate that. But like many things in his life, when he, when he had it taken away from him, he still could go run sprint cars. He still could go do those things. He couldn't run a NASCAR Cup Series race car. When it got taken away from him, his appreciation completely changed. He's a human. And that's, we do that from time to time. We don't recognize things until it's gone or until something happens. And I saw him completely dive into this series. And and it's okay if he doesn't. I mean, he's always shown me 100% respect, but I, I don't know that he cared about my opinion or still does, but there was a lot of people that felt the same way. But no one feels like that now. And you can see it at the racetrack. You can see it when you talk to him. You could see it Sunday after the race. The appreciation he has for the journey he's on in this series matters to him. And he now understands the history of this sport. And now he understands this, how special it is in this series. And our, su our superstars have to want this really badly, and he does now. And I'm not saying he didn't want it before, but it's different. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty, Daryl Waldrop, Cale Yarborough, those, David Pearson, those guys, this was their everything. No disrespect to their families or what. This was their everything. And I want our superstars to be that way. And he has that now. And he, I don't think he did before. I think he, it cared, he cared and he appreciated it, but not to the level he does now. And that's okay. I mean, I, I learned a lot of things in my life about doing things and it being taken away or, or whatever, and I gained an appreciation, or watching somebody else lose something and I gained an appreciation. We're, we're adults. I mean, we're, we're humans. We grow. And today, man, I, I just see this major appreciation just being here and how hard it is to win these races and how hard it is to win championships and how hard it is to be compared to you know, the people I just mentioned, it matters. It's a fraternity that's real special. And that level of appreciation, I think, really does come from the respect from the industry. And that was evident. All the drivers that went to the championship stage afterward and congratulated yeah. him. Mario Andretti in the pre-race that we had. Tony Stewart tweet after the race, congratulations to the best race car driver I've ever seen. And there, there were photos floating around yesterday of a 14-year-old Kyle Larson watching Tony Stewart sign autographs 
at a dirt race somewhere and big smile on his face and like I mean that's his hero the the guy he, he grew up idolizing telling him like you're the best race car driver I've ever seen in my life I mean Tony Stewart said that y- you said it yesterday Jeff I mean Kyle Larson could be considered the best driver in the world and yeah argue with that that's not really hyperbole yeah I know I mean, some people like want to take issue with it but I, I, look at everything he's done this year yeah so so you know I made that comment and you would think the social uh, media warriors would just <laughs> pile up on that. I have got not gotten one negative comment about that. Not really? one. Mm. I don't normally look at comments, but I was curious today. I'm like, I wonder what people thought about that. There was not one comment. So my question would be, who's better? Who in the world, who else in this world can win a NASCAR Cup Series championship, win all the races he's won, and midgets and sprint cars. Right. With the Knoxville National. Dirt late models. Sprint car drivers from around the world. New Zealand, Australia. Every sprint car driver in North America goes to Iowa and he beats them. While he's racing full time in the Cup Series. Who else can do that? I I mean, I'm no... I mean, listen, we're comparing... This is like the conversation about who's the very best quarterback ever. Right. This is like one of those conversations. No disrespect to anybody. But Dale Earnhardt couldn't do that. Richard Petty couldn't do that. I mean, I don't know. Mario Andretti is the only other guy. People could say AJ. Uh, people say Tony, but but not to this level. You know, they're, they're great drivers. I'm not putting anybody down. I mean, we're, again, we're comparing the very best to the very best. Kyle Larson, in my opinion, bring somebody else to me that you can say can do all those types of disciplines at that level. I haven't seen anybody that can do it until this guy. And it's just, I'm sorry. It, it is what it is. Well, the one thing Mario Andretti has on his resume is a Formula One championship that might be... Pretty special. Uh, that would be what people would probably take issue with. And the problem now is that the world has changed so much. Yeah. Kyle Larson will never get a shot. Right. You know, he can the never run a Formula One. equipment form. that we would really be able to tell. Just like we're probably not going to see Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton run the Knoxville Nationals. I, I mean, Lewis Hamilton said he wanted to run Daytona. That would be fun to see. But, well, um, what I'd like, yeah. to see is Lewis Ham- I'd like to see Lewis Ham- Hamilton come run Darlington, and I'd like to see Kyle Larson go run Monaco. That would be cool. And I bet you Kyle Larson would do better at Monaco than <laughs> Lewis Hamilton would do at Darlington. All right, the gauntlet's been thrown given, down. Given the, best, given the same equipment. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to make a lot of people mad <laughs> with that one. Yeah, this is going to get spread around the world. The F1. These are great drivers. I mean, listen, listen, Lewis Hamilton – is a great driver. And Kyle Larson is a great driver. The versatility is amazing. I can tell you that there's no way in hell. And I won a fair amount of races. If you look at the, you know, if you look in the history books, you know, my name is pretty high in regard to race winners. There's no way in hell <laughs> I could have gone to the local dirt dirt track and run with those guys in a street stock car. Right. There's no way. And this guy goes and wins the biggest races. And he wins, on in this level, he wins the road courses. He wins the half mile and a half. He, wins, he runs the short tracks. He, he wins all of them. On that note about dirt, one of the things that got brought up last night was about how much Kyle Larson was allowed to race on dirt by Rick Hendrick this year. Uh, Dustin Long has a great column on NBCSports.com. I encourage people to check it out about how Larson said after he won the championship last night that... I I knew I had no leverage (laughs) at all. Um, You know, when I went to meet with him or Rick and Jeff, I remember that initial meeting, you know, it was great. You know, Rick talked about how much he 
love my driving style and this and that and you know, he'd love to get me in his in his race car and yeah then it got to the end of the meeting and um he's like you know what do you what's you know what's something that you want and i was like oh like i'm nervous you know like i know how rick hendrick feels about dirt racing and stuff like hope this isn't i'm gonna hope i'm not shooting myself in the foot right here before i ask this question but i was like like i i'd like to race some dirt races uh he I, he didn't he didn't shut it down at all you know I, i'd kind of jeff had mentioned to me you know a few times before that you know the culture and the and how they you know kind of handle their driver's schedule was changing but i didn't really believe it um you know he was telling me that stuff but i threw it out there and i've gotten a race way more than i thought i would you know when i was with ganassi in the beginning it was nothing i couldn't really race anything and then it, it kind of morphed into 25 races in a year and then it morphed into 25 races in a cup season and um i thought i would be something similar to that but by the end of this year i'll race probably 100 total races so yeah the most i've i've raced in a long time especially you know while i'm a full-time cup series driver rick hendrick didn't really allow drivers to race on dirt yeah and he checked with cliff daniels he checked with upper management and he essentially said, we're going to let this guy have a shot at it because I can tell it means so much to him and what he's so passionate about. What do you make about that? Because uh, you know, you've seen Rick Hendrick over the decades and how he operates his race teams, and this was, this was a pretty large exception. I mean, he didn't let Casey Kane do this. You know, I'm torn. I'll say this, though. In the era where, you know, drivers, you know, in our, you know we're not having practices, we're not, you know, we can't test and all that, does track time really help even though they're in completely different cars we all know the only disadvantage is injury right that's the disadvantage you've got mm -hmm. this incredible investment and we talked about lewis hamilton a little while ago can you imagine lewis hamilton in motorsports perhaps the biggest name in the world right can you imagine him getting hurt in a sprint car and he can't run his f1 car i mean that would be a monumental shift i mean that would be huge and so at you know, so now you come to, to the cup level. Is it okay for Kyle Larson to get hurt and not be able to go race? I mean, that's – it wouldn't be okay for Lewis Hamilton. And so why is it okay for Kyle Larson, right? And that's a tough one for Rick and Roger and Joe and all the car owners. That's a yeah. really tough one. And Gibbs and Penske, by the way, still don't let their drivers do this. Ryan Blaney said that earlier this year. He wanted to race a little bit more, but Roger says – Sorry. And, and I and it's going to be interesting to see if drive owners get away from that a little bit because now we run dirt, right? So again, is it beneficial for an F1 driver to run dirt? Probably not. We run road courses, right? Is it beneficial for an F1 driver to come and run an oval? Yeah, probably not. Like, what are they? You know? But now we got so many road courses. We have a dirt race, and we have everything else. For drivers to get good and the best they can with limited practice, with limited testing, is it in the best interest of the team now to let them go run other series, to let them go do other things? The risk is the injury, clearly, but does the risk outweigh the reward? And I think it's way more it's way more over here than it used to be because, yeah, yeah. because of the shift in the schedule. And I also think, I mean, the new car, the next gen car is going to have a lot of sports car elements Yeah, and could be a lot of IMSA races yeah. on people's schedules in the future. But I also think it could be Larson because, you know, Cliff Daniels said last night that, you know, Larson didn't run as many dirt races in the playoffs. And Daniels said that he was actually worried it was going to hinder their performance 
because it works so well during the regular season. He was racing two or three nights a week then. And, and, and I was getting so much information from him about himself. Like he was up front every night. And, and if he got beat by somebody on a restart, he would tell me what he did wrong. And it would help me learn what he needed to look for out of himself and out of the car, whether dirt or pavement or any series uh, moving forward. So that information to me was, was really invaluable uh, because I don't know how else I would have gotten it. Even if we had cup practice and cup qualifying, I would not have seen Kyle Larson on the front row of some race getting beat by anybody that he could then tell me, hey man, when this guy beat me, this is what I did wrong. And, and I could see this playing out this way in a cup race or a late model race or a sprint car race or whatever. That perspective for me taught me a lot so that when we talked during the week of our approach, excuse me, for a cup race, not only, you know, the cup race in its entirety, but like, hey man, how do, how do you win the last restart? How do you set up a guy to pass for the win, whether it's uh, at the end of a, a playoff race or not, championship race or not? How do you position yourself? How do I make adjustments to the car? How does he see what he needs to see? That meant so much to me throughout the year. Daniels was learning things from Larson running all these dirt races. So do you think that teams might factor in like that the champion just ran like a hundred something races this year and won an ungodly number of them and won 10 cup races in the championship. Maybe we should just let our drivers race more. Well, also happiness matters. You know, yeah. so I was talking to Larson before the race. Uh, when you were standing there, I was talking to him, and I, I asked him, I said, what do you, you know, not on air, but off. I said, well, you know, you're going to be racing some. He's, he's telling me what he was going to do. And uh, he said, man, I just I just love to drive. I mean, he had this, you know, he had this, I just I just love to drive. That's cool. Right? And so yeah. happiness matters. And, and we talk about all the time the emotional state of the driver, right? Like, is he ready to go to battle? Is he, you know, well, a happier person does a better job. So, yeah, if it makes Kyle Larson happy and it fulfills his life and he 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 clearly enjoys traveling with his family and taking his kids to the races and you know all those races where he wins, you see his kid up on top of the car, right? I mean, he clearly it's a family thing. His wife has a huge background in in, in racing. So, yeah, I mean, if it makes him happy, it, that makes a major difference versus it being a job, right? Like just going out to make more money or something like that. You know, Kyle's not making this huge bankroll running running sprint cars. The money's, you know, just not there to make a huge amount of money. It's not about that. It's about making him feel good here. And then clearly, in talking to Cliff Daniels, he feels like it makes him better. And it was interesting to me how Cliff used that program to, to help their relationship. So he understood right, him as right. a driver. Man, use every tool you can, especially in a time where we just don't have track time like we used to. So uh, I want to put a bow on uh, some of the other driver seasons as well here. We'll start with Denny Hamlin. You and Stevie both said after Martinsville that you felt like this could be his year. I thought this was going to be his year, especially the way he came out swinging on media day and uh, had that swagger. Up, <laughs> he was fired up. He was trying to will himself to this title. And I mean, he didn't lead a lap Sunday. But yet it did feel like, and he said it, that it was kind of falling the way that he and Gabe Hart had hoped. He thought he could catch Truex uh, over the course of maybe that last long run. Third straight championship round appearance, fourth overall. Denny said, there's nothing more I could have done. You know, it softened the blow a little bit to lose to a guy with 10 wins. But I mean, every year I wonder, and I suspect Hamlin does and the team does, like how many more shots is he going to get? Yeah, listen, Denny Hamlin... um I agree. I don't know. You know, I think he could have gotten a better restart there at the end, but I don't think his car would have. I mean, if he could have 
muscled his way to the lead somehow. That would have been miraculous to be able to do that. But if somehow he could have muscled himself to the lead, uh, it would have been interesting to see what, what could have happened. But that would have been really hard to do. Short of that, I don't know what he could have done different. And that's, we talked about it earlier, it's a team sport. And it all has to work. And the, you got to get the race the way it plays out. And I agree with Denny. I think that they were in position, had the caution not come out, they were in position to be able to go take advantage of that. At the same token, everybody had the same opportunity on that last caution to have that perfect pit stop, to have that perfect restart. It, nothing got taken away from anybody. A new opportunity got created. And the five car was able to execute, and, and clearly no one else was either. So I think Denny looks back on this year as a, as a positive. Uh, they brought their best in the playoffs. They, you know, they won races late in the year. They, this, you know, he led a ton of laps. He had a lot of top fives, a lot of top tens, a lot of stage points. We need to quit talking about top fives and top tens. We need to talk about <laughs> points. But, but he did all those things, and, yeah, I, he had a strong year, and I think he can. I, I, I think that he can look himself in the mirror and say, you know what, I brought it all, and it just didn't work out. Do Martin Truex Jr. and Chase Elliott pretty much feel the same way, you think? Yeah, I think Martin Truex Jr. is like, gosh, man, you know, we got the lead, everything we needed, and we just didn't execute on pit road. And that's, that's hard for a driver. Uh, the same way it's hard for a crew when when the crew does the great stop and the driver doesn't deliver right and and you you win as a team you lose as a team we talked about it you know Brad had had that trouble last year you know everybody's different um, but it's I think it's harder when it's not in your hands you know I think for 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 me anyway it would be it's harder when I couldn't have if I made the mistake I'm hard on myself but I can fix that. I don't know if you're Martin Truex Jr., you're like, what, what could he have done different? Like, I thought he drove a championship race, just didn't work out. Another thing that I thought was interesting was Hamlin, when I asked him what happens next year, you know, how do you move past all these shots of the championship and not breaking through, he said, well, I mean, you, th- you think about Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I, and and I think about it that you know it this is a great opportunity you know this is the last generation of this car that you know took I took a very good liking to over the last three years um, we don't know what the next gen car brings we don't know 
you know, will our team be as good? Like, you know, there's just many, many question marks that happens after this. So that's why we really put so much emphasis on trying, let's try to win this, win this this year. Um, but honestly, we, there's just nothing else I could have done. There's nothing else. Uh, I drove as hard as I could every lap. I feel like we made the most of what we had with this car. This was the last three years of this car. It fit me real, really well. And next year, who knows what's going to happen? I thought that was interesting too. I didn't sense resignation in his voice. No, no, no. But I sensed a little bit of, I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're going to be just as good next year because how can anybody know how good we're going to be next year? I mean, honestly, it's pretty smart. I mean, I mean, it's, it's logical, right? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it, it is what it is. No one knows. I mean, you just don't know how the driver's going to match with this car, how the team's going to match with this car. Like, you just have no idea. There's so many unknowns going into next year. I mean, you just ran a race, and you're going to go back to Phoenix in a few months, and everything you just did means nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything is different. Nothing. Everything is different. And, I mean, that was the vibe in the garage this past weekend, Jeff. I don't know if you, you felt this, but, I mean, it wasn't just – you always have that feeling the end of the season, the last race. You know, it, but this time it wasn't just that, you know, Chip Ganassi is leaving or Ryan Newman might be running his last race or Kurt Busch and Keselowski are changing teams or Todd Gordon's leaving as a crew chief and other team members running. It was that – Everything next year is going to be completely different. Radical new car, radical approaches to how they're built, how they're raced. And Kozlowski described it as like culture shock. Everything is wiped out. I think I think Kurt Busch said it's going to be like hitting control alt delete on the entire series. What do you think we're going to see when we get to Daytona? I don't know. <laughs> I, I I know this. Okay, I know this. Somebody's going to win Daytona 500, and somebody's going to finish last. And you have to, as a team, go execute. It's going to be a race. And when all is said and done, it's going to be a race. And there's going to be some issues that we haven't had in the past. We're going to deal with some growing pains. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I don't know how you can't deal with some growing pains in something like this. But as far as what kind of race we're going to see, who the favorite is, I have absolutely no idea who I think going to the Daytona 500, to the Clash at the Coliseum, to Fontana, to Phoenix. No idea. None. And anybody that says they do is, and if they do know, they're way smarter than the rest of the, I mean, it's just no way to know. It, yeah. it's a, it is a monumental shift. Never has there been a shift like this in the sport. You've always been really in tune uh, with like team management and dynamics. And I asked Keslowski about this because he kind of alluded to a little bit. And how do teams restructure restaff because uh, you know you don't really need a wind tunnel program anymore right like chassis program not as much obviously because those are coming from somewhere like uh, will they rejigger some of the departments and things like oh that? Yeah. yeah i th listen i i, I there's going to be a major shift in where you put your resource and i think that's the you know it, it's always been you know the prioritization what, what, what prior what needs what priority right and there's not an unlimited amount of funds you've got to decide as a team and organization where do we need to put our investment and that's going to be fascinating is you no longer need a person that builds whatever component you no longer need that guy but what you do need is a guy that can understand how that component works and you can understand how that component relates to the rest of the car and can understand how that component relates to the people that are doing sim work. And that is a major change. 
like the teams are going to get intellectually better hmm. and they're going to get manufactured wise they're going to be a fraction of themselves it's a shift of of funds it's a shift of priorities and who can get that stuff figured out the quickest right i mean right now this is great big general i mean when you go talk to to you know director of competitions you talk to those guys you're getting very big general answers right you're not getting nobody's focused on the minute things the way they are now it's like drinking through a great big funnel and it's going to be fascinating to see who can figure it out and and there's no i mean the i think the cream rises to the top like it always does but you just don't know. Yeah. You just plain and simple don't know what's going to happen. We'll get a little bit of a peek of it next week. Next gen test on an oval will be at Charlotte Motor Speedway yeah. in two days. Uh, yeah. Are you going out there for that? Oh yeah, I'll be out there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything you're be watching there? Anything I, aside from like hopefully they fixed <laughs> whatever the steering well, problems yeah, I mean, were at the road course. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's to me from a, a problem standpoint. That's that's the big thing. Can yeah. you, can they? Get around a mile and a half with the steering the way it needs to be. Uh, I know that sounds fundamental, but it's been a problem. Mm-hmm. It's been a major problem. And, I mean, some teams at the road course test weren't able to make laps like they needed to. Uh, there was a failure in one of the cars. Like, that is that is the biggest point of emphasis is trying to get that figured out. The rest of it seems pretty good. The rest of it seems like everything is rolling pretty good. Now, there's going to be, like I said, there's somebody's going to break – Somebody's going to break something that is provided to them by an outside vendor, and they're going to act like that's the only thing that ever broke in the whole history of <laughs> racing. Our parts never failed. Nothing bad ever happened, right? We're going to have that. But it's, it's just going to be fascinating to see the evolution. from. If you just think about the test here next week and then come back to Charlotte in May, and it's going to have gone from here all the way to here. I mean, yeah. it's going to be crazy how, how much things change. Fascinating to watch. A lot of fascinating things going on in NASCAR and certainly a fascinating season finale. Thanks for being on to uh, discuss all of it, Jeff. Well, hey, you know, Matt, Fat, I, I, I got to say that, you know, I've been, I told you this earlier, I've been to Super Bowls, Final Fours, and I'm going to tell you this weekend was an incredible experience. And I would put it against any. Super Bowl I've been to, I'd put it against any Final Four I've been to. The energy, the enthusiasm, it was crazy. Really proud of of everybody that had a role in that because it was it was a special feeling. I mean, I left there jacked up, ready. I left pit road, going to the booth, just like let's go. I mean, it was a really really cool environment, and if you if you're looking to go to a race, that was really special. You know, I know the Daytona 500 is a huge race, but our Super Bowl is that last race of the year. I mean, the competition sort of justifies the attention at this point. Again, yeah. we were talking about earlier, I mean, the last few years of this thing, it's the champion has always won the race, but now it just feels like those four cars are on another level. It goes back to what, you know, Steve and I say it all the time. Steve Latart and I talk about it all the time. We used to think... We ratcheted it up all that we could. Right. Come to find out there's more out there. And this system, this point system has taught us when you think you're getting enough, it's not. <laughs> you got you to go get more. It's so special to watch. I have so much respect to watch the drivers and the teams 
We had four championship contenders, and at one point in the race, every single one of them thought they could win a championship. That's that's pretty crazy. Definitely special to watch. Special to have you call it as well, and special to have you here. So thanks as Thank always you, for your insight, man. Our thanks again to Jeff Burton for the time and for all the appearances that he made this season on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. Thanks as well to Dale Jarrett, Kyle Petty, Steve Letarte, and Parker Kligerman. This likely will be the last NASCAR and NBC podcast for a while, so I wanted to express my deep gratitude to all of our analysts for providing so much insight over the course of the season on this podcast. Their expertise and knowledge really give us a great window and deeper understanding into the big happenings of NASCAR. Thanks as well to NASCAR and NBC producers Emily Conboy, Aaron Feldstein, and Trevor Gavin for helping coordinate the guests and logistics for the podcast throughout the season, helping nail down all of the studio time to record these. It's really appreciated. And speaking of the studio, Many thanks to Anthony, Justin, Kevin, and Matt for helping man the cameras for the video version of this podcast. You can find that on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. If you check that out, subscribe while you're there to get lots of great daily motorsports video content, not just NASCAR, but across the spectrum of NBC Sports Motorsports properties that's on the Motorsports on NBC YouTube channel. And speaking of those motorsports properties, NASCAR might be over, But there still is a major race this weekend as IMSA concludes its season with the prestigious Petit Le Mans, one of the biggest sports car races in the country. That's 10 hours of racing action from Michelin Road Atlanta this Saturday, so you can head over to NBCSports.com slash motors to find all the details of how to watch as well as coverage of the race. The NASCAR and NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. So if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review and any feedback you can send to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.